Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. When I say Charlie Fry, what do you think of uh, all I remember him is going through the drive-thru at the McDonald's and doing the McDonald's commercials for <laughs> French fries, Charlie fries. Other than that, I don't remember him. Whoa, whoa. Would you like a large fry with that? Yeah, no thanks. I've already got one. <laughs> Brown seasons always start bad. In openers from 1999 to 2020, the Browns are 120 and 1. And 2007 started off with a particularly ugly loss. We have four fouls against the offense. Wow. Illegal formation, offense. Number 56, the penalty is declined. Holden. With rookie Brady Quinn sitting the bench trying to learn the offense, it was Charlie Fry who got the opening day start against Pittsburgh. We didn't have a chance of beating them at any moment in that game. The opener against Pittsburgh was so ugly, the Browns front office and GM Phil Savage did something unthinkable. I'm like, wow, we are not going to beat the Steelers, unfortunately, with Charlie Fry as our quarterback. And I had talked to Seattle during camp about trading Charlie. They were interested in him like the second or third week of camp. And so now you do something that's never been done, never been done since. Trade your starting quarterback after the opener. This was a terrible move. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Force of habit. This was a brilliant move that kicked off the wildest, winningest, miracle season Cleveland had experienced in over 20 years. Everything went right. The quarterback play, offensive weapons, good coaching. Well, everything except one thing. Bust out the bubbly and settle in because this episode, we're smiling all the way to Brownstown. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. 
and Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. On this show, we constantly talk about what the Browns got wrong. But in 2007, the Browns finally got a ton of things right. It was a glimpse of glorious winning football before we fell back into the abyss for another decade. 2007 started with them tied for the worst odds to win the Super Bowl with the Detroit Lions, which meant the only way to go was up. The first thing we got right was not firing Romeo Cornell and Phil Savage, who had been given a third year despite two losing seasons. I think the thing that I'm most proud about over those four years is obviously the record that we had in 07. That was the best record the Browns had for the next 13 or 14 years. The second thing we had going, confidence. The kind of confidence any great organization needs. And one you needed to make the drastic decision to trade your starting quarterback. Even if Josh Cribbs knew, he should have never been their starter anyway. Charlie had been getting those McDonald's commercial because of his last name. Ned, a fry guy, used to travel to every game and dress as a box of French fries. And he'd go to every game. It'd be in Oakland, everywhere, sitting 50 yard line, right behind the bench. A box of fries. Just cheering for Charlie Fry in the Browns. And for that to happen, I was, you know, the first thing that went to my mind, I ain't gonna lie. There goes Fry Guy. I felt that as a quarterback, I had more to offer than Charlie Fry. I beat Charlie Fry several times. I, I beat him. I went head to head. I remember those games in Akron at the Rubber Bowl. Charlie be crying, man, good game, Cribs. Man, you did. And then to see the Browns draft him in like the second, third round, I was like, man, y'all took Charlie. Like, now he wasn't a bad quarterback. He did some good things. Thinking that this was all we had to offer. I was like, man, we got to really get on our game because, you know, I played with Charlie. Like, he's not going to take us to the next level. So when he got traded, then our season started taking off. So Fry was now a Seahawk. Brady Quinn had had the playbook for only about a month. So who's coming in at quarterback? D.A. That's who. Derek Anderson. He had the reputation of being a streaky quarterback, and he was on a streak that year. Romeo thought D.A. brought the confidence that the Browns had been lacking. I mean, he was throwing it around and making plays, and that gave the whole team confidence. Derek Anderson's confidence spread its way through the whole team, and his success allowed others to shine. Take Josh Cribbs, for example. Caught by Cribbs at the 8-yard line, up the middle 10. He's to the 20. He's to the 25. 30, 35, 40. He's down the sideline. 50. I think he's going to go. He's to the 20. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Joshua Cribbs. Cribbs balled out so much, he became WWE wrestler Dolph Ziggler's favorite player. Love Cribbs. He was the quarterback at Kent State when I was there. He was cool. 
we were Kent State, so we weren't that great, whatever, that's fine. But then to like go to the Browns from there and then be this explosive, exciting kick, like we're like, here comes the kickoff. Like, oh, great. Even if we lose 48 to 10 today, we we're going to have a couple good returns. This is going to be exciting, you know? I love rooting for hometown people or people who are around and Cribs, I loved watching return kicks. That always made my day. Derek Anderson and Cribs play also electrified Braylon Edwards, who caught 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns. Anderson going deep, and he's got Braylon Edwards, and there he goes, touchdown! Even Kelton Winslow went over 1,000 yards and hauled in five touchdowns himself. Winslow, touchdown Cleveland, how about these Browns? And the offseason signing of Jamal Lewis ate up another 1,300 yards on the ground. He was the first 1,300-yard rusher for the Browns since the GOAT, Jim Brown. Jamal Lewis driving forward. He's in. Touchdown, Cleveland. The offense tallied 402 points, the most they scored in a season since 1966. The mojo was so strong that even things that normally screwed the Browns over, like controversial refereeing. After review, the pass is incomplete. First, first down, Jacksonville. Wow. Worked in their favor. I mean, in week 11, Dawson hit a game-tying kick against Baltimore that was so insane, they had to change the rules and name a piece of equipment after him. It was 51 left hash. Wind always goes right to left on, in that stadium, so I aimed a little bit right of center. For the tie, Dawson leans into it. Does he have enough? It moved left a little more than I thought it would and wound up glancing the left upright. As soon as I saw that, I knew it was good because it ricocheted to the right towards the middle. Before I know it, I see this ball bouncing straight up in the air, and I have no idea what it hit because, you know, what are the odds it's going to go from an upright to a stanchion? Not the crossbar, but the curve bar. I didn't know at the time what it had hit, and when I see the referee signal, No good! What a finish! You can go back and watch the video. I literally bend over and grab my knees. I heard some commotion out, but the referees hadn't left. There's a question whether the ball went past the crossbar and came back. We will take a look at this play. Next thing you know, they come back on the PA and say, that thing was good. We're going to overtime. After discussion on the field, the field goal hit the top of the crossbar, went over and hit the extension on the backside, which in fact is a good field goal. It bounced back. The field goal was good. Man, you want to talk about being the happiest man on the planet. That was me. And then for Josh to get a big kickoff return, start overtime, we drove down the field and make another kick. That sure did help soothe the pain from that Pittsburgh loss the week before. Because kicks weren't reviewable at the time, the league changed the rules after the game to be able to reverse improperly called field goals, the Phil Dawson rule. And that curvy part of the goalpost that holds up the crossbar, that's now called the Dawson bar. The NFL is finally back and there's also finally no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets. TickPick is your best choice to buy football tickets because they save you money by never charging any service fees. I mean, ever. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, -I -C -K, got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which let them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, 
TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, 110% difference. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for Brownstown and Blue Wire Network. I gotta go find some Browns tickets against the Steelers on Monday night to watch the Browns kick their tail. Visit TickPick.com slash Brownstown today and use the promo code Brownstown to save $10 on your first order of NFL tickets. To end the season, the luck and good play would continue as we'd win three of five heading into the last game of the season against the 49ers. Browns, all they needed to do was win and they beat in the playoffs and they are now nine and six and no longer in control of their own destiny. With the playoffs on the line for the first time since 2002, again, shit was looking up for once. The five and 10 49ers were headed to town and all we needed was a win. And with two minutes left in the first quarter, my man Cribs came through like he had all season long. Here's Cribs. He's going to be able to return. Caught at 24. Zigzags right. 30, 35, 40. He's wide right. Could go. He's to the 40. He's right sideline 30 with the kicker to beat. He's to the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Josh Cribs. They'd go on and win 20 to 7. And the Browns had fucking won 10 games for the first time since coming back to Cleveland. It was only the second time we ended up above 500 since they came back. 10 and 6. The first team since the 80s to win 10 games and not go to the playoffs. See, this is where the bad luck Browns catch back up to us. We lost out in the playoffs on a tiebreaker. Because Indianapolis, they rested their guys and lost the game. All they needed to do was win. But I don't fault them for that. I faulted us because we go down to Cincinnati that year. And if we win the game in Cincinnati, we were in the playoffs. It was a windy day and we didn't handle the win as well as we should have and lost that game. And then it came back to bite us in the Behind. Sean Smith saw it the same way. This is forever why I hate the Indianapolis Colts. We won 10 games that year, right? Remember we won 10 games. Tony Dungy and them decided not to uh, pay. They starters, rest the guys. They lose the game. Tennessee wins. Oh, we're out of the playoffs. In other Cleveland sports news, the Cavs went to the finals where they got swept by the Spurs. And the Indians won the AL Central before the Red Sox bombed them out in the ALCS. So great year for Cleveland. That ended with a terrible case of blue balls. Our best year yet, arguably our best teams yet, and our best quarterback yet, and we don't even get to play in the fucking playoffs? This shit is so, so Cleveland. All right, whatever. On to 08. The good news was everybody was coming back, and the team looked like it could make some noise and actually make the playoffs this time. But whatever dark magic had shifted the Browns' luck from god-awful to league average to 10 wins... It had worn off. It was time for the bad luck Browns again, starting with Braylon Edwards' fluke injury. Remember, he came out without shoes on and cut his foot and couldn't play at all during the preseason leading up to the regular season. And then he would drop passes. He was his own undoing. Or Derek Anderson's regression. You had to spoon feed Derek Anderson every week. Have to get him an easy throw at the beginning of the game to get his confidence going. Because if he misses early, he's going to miss a lot. Or Brady Quinn's busted finger. So they got x-rays and it was broken and it like ripped off some ligaments or tendons or whatever up at that first distal joint, I think they call it. And they're like, yeah, we're probably going to have to put pins in. The list goes on and on. The difference between 10 and 6 and 6 and 10 was a matter of inches. 
and Cribs was counting them in 07 and in 08. The thing was, we won most of the games by a touchdown or less. We won like six games by a touchdown or less. The next year, we were six and 10. Same thing. We lost those games by a touchdown. We lost six games by a touchdown or less. So those two years was very funny. It dealt with coaching, who was at the helm at quarterback. But most importantly, the year we went six and 10, Brandon Edwards led the NFL in most dropped balls in history. The 08 season started 0-3, but we snuck out a win in Cincy the week before the bye. But this is when rumors of firing head coach Romeo Cornell started swirling. Even after going 10-6, and Romeo's overall record was still just 21-31. and Smelling blood in the water, defensive coordinator Todd Grantham was supposedly eyeing Romeo's job. You mentioned Todd Grantham. There are rumors that after the 2007 season and 2008, he thought he was going to become the head coach of yeah. Romeo. And, yeah, and with all he was calling defenses, I'm not saying to lose, but not to win. I believe that rumor is true. And nothing against TG and nothing like that. I tell him to his face. I mean, he used to ask that I do shit sometimes to question against Romeo because I'll never forget. What was that, week four? Going into the second seed in 2008. And uh, it was our bye week. And it was all a rumbling. So they, matter of fact, they canceled practices, immediate press conference, and everything. It was supposed to be like Romeo was supposed to get fired, and Ty was supposed Ty Griffin thought he was going to be the head coach. It was just crazy. And ever since all that happened, that's when our season we turned this shit to four and what, four and twelve. We went like shit. Romeo ended up lasting through the regular season. So did GM Phil Savage. But ultimately, the expectations that they had built in 07 with the most successful season in the New Browns history came back to haunt them and signed their pink slips in 08. But not even a fucking firing could go off without some Browns bullshit. That's when this happened to Phil Savage. I had gone to Charlotte for a bowl game. I got a text during the game to call Randy. And so I got to the airport, the Charlotte airport. That is the place where I was told that, hey, we're going a different direction. I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised. So I told Romeo that I was out, and Romeo was not told until Monday that he was out. But anyway, I go into the office on Monday, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I stayed at the Berea office. I actually held out the hope that I was going to get called and said, you know what? I'm changing my mind. I honestly thought that call might come in. Now, my wife says I'm crazy. She said, you know, you, you're not seeing things realistically. But I literally stayed in Berea till like 4, 4.30 before I left on that Monday, and the call never came. Fired over the phone on a Saturday in an airport? Shit feels more like a worse ex-boyfriend move than a business move. That's like getting broken up with over a text. Phil Savage and Romeo Cornell had built stability and success, and after one bad season, one wildly wacky and unlucky season, owner Randy Lerner had thrown it all away. Phil Savage doesn't believe in curses, but he sort of does. There was a little bit of a feeling that, okay, everything's going well, but then as soon as you stubbed your toe or as soon as a signing went awry or as soon as a draft pick didn't pan out, it was like, oh boy, here we go again. And for whatever reason, it just felt like when one thing happened with the Browns, boy, it would just cascade. 
You know, it was all downhill from there. I can honestly say I had a few woe is me feelings, you know, based on some of the things that happened. I'm like, well, maybe they're right. But, you know, you can laugh about it now. But it was it, it was a struggle. It's not a curse. At least I don't think so. The Browns playing right now are proving that. But back in 09, there was yet another Belichick disciple, a goddamn former Browns ball boy. Ready to try and break this damn not a curse? It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. And I kept saying, Mom, this is the Cleveland Browns. Do you understand? The Cleveland Browns. Next time on Brownstown, Eric Mangini tries to sell himself to Browns fans. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartow and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwetha Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time.